Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Amen, amen. Jesus saves, and we're thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Bow our heads now as we open God's Word. Father, uh, we are praising you indeed uh, because it is through Christ that we have the hope and the certainty of salvation. And we thank you for this opportunity to use technology to worship you, to have fellowship together, and to and together learn about you and uh, be edified by your word. And so uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide uh, the message this morning. We may apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was a teenager, I, uh, I used to spend a lot of time uh, with bodybuilders. Uh, this was, you know, of course, back in the 80s. It was kind of cool. Um, you know, I started lifting weights when I was in my early teens. And although it, it, it doesn't seem obvious right now, when I was in college, I used to do powerlifting. Now, if you're not familiar with powerlifting, uh, you've probably seen this in the Olympics. Uh, the bodybuilders, when they do power um, um, lifting, the idea is to be able to lift uh, the heaviest weight you can. And, and a lot of times it's you, you do between one and three reps. You do squats, you do deadlifts uh, and chest presses. Uh, but again, the idea is to uh, lift as, as heaviest, the heaviest weights that you can. And so I used to hang out with the bodybuilders. I used to work out with them in the gym when I was in, in college and uh, even attended um, uh, at least one of the uh, competitions that they had in the, in the university there. And, and you know, uh, hanging out with them and, and, they, and they were teaching me and everything. And I remember I wanted to be strong and, and big like they were, you know, back in the 80s. Arnold Schwarzenegger was, you know, everybody wanted to be as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know what I realized as, um, as, as I worked out with them and talked with them, uh, if you want to be a bodybuilder, if you want to be big uh, and you want to do it the right way without, you know, supplements or steroids, uh, be a bodybuilder, just like really being any kind of athlete, uh, you know, it requires commitment, requires discipline, and often it requires sacrifice. And many of the good things that you can think of uh, in your life, you can probably uh, say that many of those good things don't necessarily happen easy. I may have shared this with you this before, but um, when I was in the Navy, when I, uh, I, I went to the Navy in 1989, I went to basic training boot camp uh, in, in the summer. So June and July, because back then it was eight weeks. June and July, I, I, I did boot camp, and, and when I graduated, they send us straight to what's called A school, which is where we get trained to do the, the job we're going to do, in, in this case, the Navy. And I remember on one night, uh, we were hanging out at the lounge, a few of us uh, there in the barracks, in the lounge, we were watching a movie on TV, and the movie was, um, what was it called? A Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Now, Full Metal Jacket is about the Marines, and and the first part of the movie takes place in, you know, in, in boot camp. You know, it basically goes over uh, the challenges of the recruits and basic training. And, and, and some made it, some didn't. And I remember watching that and feeling so good about myself because I made it. I, I, against all odds, even though I had some friends 
that came before me, that went to, to the Navy before me, and they weren't able to make it through basic training. I was able to make it against all odds, and it felt great. It felt great. And, you know, of course, as a side benefit, I, I was bigger. I was, uh, and, and, I, and I think I had a lot more discipline. It was in this time of my life that I learned this philosophy that good things are often difficult, and these accomplishments, these good things often require sacrifice, discipline, and commitment. Now, there's one exception to this as far as the difficulty, and that is salvation. Salvation is the, is the greatest thing we could ever accomplish in this life. And salvation is easy. You know, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is easy because God is the one who does the heavy lifting. Isn't that great? I mean, that's wonderful news. But now, one of the more frustrating uh, things that you know, some Christians go through is to live like a Christian at times, live like a person that is saved, um, grow in Christ, grow in your spiritual life. A lot of times, this is where Christians fail to, to understand that. And so the question is, how do we know that we're growing spiritually? What steps can we take to grow? Notice the title of the message is the secret growth. And, and really, it is the secret spiritual growth. What steps can we take? And we're going to look at that today. In fact, there's three things, there are three steps that we can take to ensure that we're growing spiritually. But the first thing I, I think it's important to mention is that uh, growth, at least spiritual growth, does not happen automatically. There are things that we must do that are dependent upon our actions. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21 this morning. We're going to stay in Matthew today. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14 and verses 13 through 21. I believe you'll see it on the screen as well. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Matthew 14 and verses 13 through 21. The Bible says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from, the, from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus uh, went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, you do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, 
besides women and children. You know, this is one of the better known uh, stories of the miracles uh, uh, that Jesus did, uh, 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 the feeding of the 5,000. And, um, and what we'll see here is that here Jesus really is, this, this event, this incident shares uh, the steps that we need to take to ensure that we're growing spiritually. Now, you, you notice that, that, that verse 13 starts uh, with the phrase, saying, when Jesus heard it. Well, what was it that Jesus uh, hear? What, what did he hear? Well, when you look at verses uh, 1 through 12, there we read about the story of the death of John the Baptist. And, of course, the death of John the Baptist was a tragedy. Now, of course, Jesus expected uh, John to die, but that did not make it any less painful. And so we read that Jesus wanted to be by himself. Probably can relate to that. You know, times when, when we're depressed or, or times when, when tragedy has struck our lives, a lot of times we want to be by ourselves. And so Jesus felt the same way. But I would say that it, it isn't so much that Jesus wanted to be by himself, but the fact that he wanted to be with his father. And this, of course, wasn't anything new for Jesus. The Bible speaks of the fact that Jesus spent a lot of time in communion with his father. In fact, the Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times during his earthly ministry. This is something he did all the time. In fact, in the book, Steps of Christ, author Ellen White says it this way, Jesus himself, while he dwelt among men, was often in prayer. He was often in prayer. I, I want you to think about that. Jesus, the one whom we follow, we are Christians, we follow Jesus. The example that he gave us, he was often in prayer. That could be said about us. That people, when they talk about you, when they mention your name, they would be able to say, this person, so-and-so, often in prayer. That is the example we ought to follow. Now, is isn't an accident that Matthew said that Jesus went to this place to be by himself. Again, we are assuming he went pray to be with his father with the story that followed. Jesus was about to do a miracle. He was about to do something that would help us understand how we are to grow spiritually. Now, the first lesson is, again, what Jesus did after, you know, having the news of the tragedy. Again, what is it that you do when tragedy strikes your life? This is what he did. He prayed. Jesus prayed. Because it was in prayer that there was the secret, the source of his success, the source of his power. You know, Jesus was tempted far more than any of us could ever be tempted. And think about it. When was the last time that you were tempted to turn a, a piece of stone into bread? I don't want to minimize you know, what you're going through or the challenges that you have in, in your battle with Satan and, and how he's tempting you. But the fact is, Jesus was tempted to use his divinity. And had he done that, Satan would have gotten the upper hand. What was the source of, of success that Jesus had? What was the source of his power? Prayer. Prayer. Again, in the book Steps to Christ, page 94, Ellen White says it this way. She says, our Savior identified himself with our needs and weakness. 
in that he became a suppliant, a petitioner seeking from his father fresh supplies of strength. He might come forth braced for duty and trial. He is our example in all things. His humanity made prayer a necessity and a privilege. Found comfort and joy in communion with his father. And if the Savior of men, the Son of God, felt the need of prayer, how much more should feeble, sinful mortals feel the necessity of fervent, constant prayer? Think about that. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was righteous. And he understood that his need of prayer, of, of communion with his Father, and if Jesus, being perfect, being sinless, understood that, that, that the need of prayer, how much more us? We that are weak, we that are feeble, we that are sinful, how much more should we understand the need to continue uh, communication with our Father? Fervent, constant prayer, she said. So this kind of prayer, it has to be more than, than the two minutes. Maybe we pray in the morning before we head off to work or the school, wherever we're going. And, and maybe the 30 seconds we, we pray as we lay our heads on the pillow at night uh, before we doze off. It's got to be more than that. This is, this is a commitment to spend time with the God that we love. Commitment. You know, a lot has been said about uh, the importance of communication between, say, spouses. The moment that, that the communication stops between spouses, you know, the, the relationship is near its end because there's no communication. And while we know that God continues, he doesn't give up on us, God continues to pursue us. If we're not communicating with him, then our relationship with him will suffer and we in turn we're gonna, are going to grow weaker in our, in our spiritual life. There has been called the breath of of the soul, right? We need to breathe in order to live. And in order for, for our spiritual life to remain alive, we need that breath. We need prayer. So it's important for us to be intentional. And, and so no matter how busy you think you are in, in your life, and it may be that you are indeed busy, that, that your life is so full of things that, that you don't have time for anything. And, and, and that is the challenge, of course, because our lives become so busy at times that we feel that we don't have time to pray. This is why maybe our prayers is just two minutes in the morning before we're, we're speeding off to wherever we're going. You know, uh, being intentional. And, and again, this is such an important thing as we start the new year. right? Because again, in the new year, we, we, we make goals, we make resolutions because we want to do things better. Uh, we want things to change in our lives. So, so this is the first step. Prayer is, is, is certainly the first step and, and foundational to our spiritual lives. So maybe one way that you can be intentional about this is to maybe have a planner. You know, you can have a planner, which is maybe just a book, or of course, now we, you, know, you can have a planner on your phone, on your iPad. And every day, take time to uh, uh, set a time aside, whatever, whatever time it is, maybe it's five o'clock in the morning, maybe it's six. The point is, pencil in some time al along with God, tag time, you could call it tag time. I'm alone with God. And, and it may be that you have to wake up a little earlier. That, that's true. It may be. 
will tell you that it will pay dividends for your life. Prayer. I'm along with God, communicating with your father. Do you want to grow spiritually? I hope that everybody's answering, absolutely, yes, I want to grow spiritually. Well, the first thing that you need to do is to pray, because we are following the example of Jesus. We're following the example of Jesus. Well, the story continues in Matthew 14. Uh, so remember, Jesus goes to be by himself. He wants to be with his father. The multitude somehow find out, and they follow him there. They wanted to be where Jesus was. They, they wanted to hear his wisdom. So Jesus starts speaking to him. And, and you know, uh, what he was saying was so interesting and, and that, you know, time flies by. You know, you probably have heard some good preachers out there, that, you know, they can speak for an hour or two and, and, and you can listen to them all the time because the, the time passes by. And so the time passed by as Jesus is talking. And of course, people got hungry. People got hungry. And, and as if this little tell escape, uh, Jesus, the disciples told him, this is verse 15. This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. It was a prudent thing to do, right? You know, Jesus, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed by Jesus because Jesus was a great leader. He's a great leader, uh, uh, the best leader, and any good leader knows that one of the ways that you lead is by delegating. It's important that a leader delegates. And Jesus, of course, was, was a master in delegating uh, with his disciples. So notice he tells them in verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, uh, at first, that, that seems like a silly response because, of course, the disciples, you know, how are they going to get food for 5,000 people? But you see, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. In fact, Jesus already knew there was somebody in the crowd, a child, mind you, somebody in the crowd, the only one who thought about lunch. He knew that somebody in the crowd had five loaves of bread and two fish. And of course, he knew because he is God. He knows all things. But also think about it. As God, he was the one who supplied that bread and that fish to that child. Yeah. And so this leads us. The second thing that we must do in order to grow spiritually. You may remember that Jesus in John 6, 35 said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Friends, it is through the word of God that we come to Jesus. In his mercy, God has supplied us with the spirit spiritual bread that we need in order for us to grow spiritually, in order for us to have uh, uh, um, healthy spiritual lives. You know, I think that a lot of times we, we take that for granted. You know, most of us have a number of Bibles in our homes. You may have two or three, maybe more uh, in, your, in your bookcase, maybe in the center table or in your living room. And of course, you know, we have our cell phones. And you've downloaded many uh, versions of the Bible on your cell phone. But, you know, I, I think in spite of the fact that the Bible is so easily accessible to us, it could be that really not, we're not spending time in it. You know, I, I read an article uh, that was titled, The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy is Our Problem. That's the title. And the author, notice what the author says. 
while America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular world's, uh, the worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home, biblical illiteracy in the church. Researchers uh, George Gallup and Jim Castelli put the problem squarely. They said Americans revere the Bible. By and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. You think about that. Christians, we indeed, we revere the Bible. We know that the Bible is God's word, that it's trustworthy. Last, last week, we talked about amazing discoveries that prove that the Bible is trustworthy. And we believe that uh, wholeheartedly. Again, could it be indeed that we are also uh, uh, Christians that are biblically illiterate because we're not feeding ourselves with the word of God. You know, every person who is born again starts their life as a baby in Christ. That, that's the experience for all of us. So, so whether a new convert is six or 60, that person is still a new Christian, a baby Christian, and needs to grow in the Lord. But now, if you've been in the church, if you've been in the church for a long time, if you, it, it's been decades that you were baptized, and you're still a baby Christian, that's a tragedy. That should not happen because God's will, God's desire is for us to grow, to mature spiritually. That's what God intends, uh, because as we grow spiritually, then we become a positive influence to the world. We become a positive influence to the lives around us. But until we learn to dig into the meat of the word of God for ourselves, we will never grow. It's not going to happen. Think about it physically. If we're not eating, if we're not eating the right foods, then what's going to happen? We're going to get sick. We're going to get weak. And if it's not corrected, eventually we're going to die. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. If we want to grow spiritually, we must eat the bread of life, the bread of God daily, friends, every day. Now, I like to be practical. Um, you know, as we start the new year, uh, a lot of times, one of the things that some people uh, do or the goals that they've established, the resolutions, is that they indeed want to read the Bible. And um, I remember when I was a, a young Christian, uh, we were taught this, the system of reading the Bible in a year. You probably have heard it. If, if you were to read three chapters a day, five chapters on Sabbath, by the end of the year, you would have read the entire Bible. And this was always a challenge, and, and leaders would say, listen, we can challenge you this new year to read the Bible in a year, and everybody, of course, would read their three chapters a day and five chapters on Sabbath. And, and by the way, if this is something you do, more power to you. But, you know, I think we got to be careful that we approach our, our, our Bible study just for the sake of adding, you know, or, or saying that we've read X number of chapters or that we've read the, the entire Bible in a year, because what good is it if we read the entire Bible and if we don't understand it, we don't know it, we don't remember it, we don't apply it to our lives. And so, and of course, everybody learns a different way. But if, if all you can do 
is read one chapter a day because one that's that's all you can read in order for you to understand and meditate on it and just read one chapter a day it's just half a chapter maybe if you're reading the gospels and uh, you just read a parable of jesus and you focus on that and you meditate on that and you internalize it and apply it to your life so that you can remember it so that indeed it has an impact on your life if that's all it takes and that's what you should do See, the point is not so much how many chapters am I reading. The point is spending time with God. And in this case, the study of his word. Again, we need to be practical. We need to be intentional. So here in your, in your planner, whether it's your phone, your iPad, you know, a book that you have that you bought out of the planner, part of that tag time, the time alone with God, is to study God's word. It's to study God's word and to internalize, to apply it to your life. So, so you're in that tag time, you are praying, you're talking to God, you're communicating with him, but you're also studying his word. That's part of the tag time. And I want to challenge you to do this because if you want to grow spiritually, you need to study God's word. And if you don't study God's word, you're not going to grow spiritually. But now let's go back to the story. So now uh, uh, the disciples find the child that had the, uh, the the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and they bring the bread and the fish to Jesus. So notice in verses 19 and 20. This is again Matthew 14, verses 19 and 20. He commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. I want you to, to take a mental a picture here. Once Jesus uh, prayed, he calls the disciples to him, Jesus gives the disciples the food, and in turn, the disciples take to the multitude. Now, this leads us to the third step we must take. If we are to grow spiritually, we must witness. We must witness. And notice the order. Jesus provides the bread. He gives the bread to the disciples, and from the disciples, he goes to the hungry multitude. Now, Jesus, of course, is God. And I would imagine that if, if Jesus wanted, all he had to do is snap his fingers, as it were, and every one of those people, those 5,000 souls that were there, would have had a piece of bread and a fish. But of course, Jesus, in, in, in his humanity, how could he by himself feed, feed the 5,000? The point is, Jesus needed the help of his disciples. Jesus needed his disciples to help feed the hungry multitude. And friends, when we look at how this applies to us, we are surrounded by hungry multitudes. Now, sure, uh, um, not everybody wants uh, hear about God, not everybody wants to have a relationship with him, maybe because they don't realize their need. But at the same time, there are people all around us that are hungry and that feel hunger 
and they would love somebody to come and share the word of God to satisfy their spiritual hunger. Jesus needs the help of his disciples. I would say that one reason that he wanted to use his disciples is because by partaking of the miracle, disciples were being blessed themselves. Think about it. I mean, imagine if you wanted disciples. Jesus was one of was doing one of the greatest miracles in his ministry, feeding of the five thousand, and you were there, and you partook of it, and you were an instrument. You helped Jesus feed the hungry multitude. Well, the same thing is 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 today in our lives. You can be part of how Jesus is feeding the hungry multitude, and you can be part of it. And it is going to be a blessing for you. You're going to be benefited by taking part of this. You know, the Bible uh, tells us, uh, you're familiar with Matthew 24, the signs of the times, and, and, and Matthew 24, 14 tells us that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. So it, it tells us that before Jesus comes, everybody around the world is going to have an opportunity hear the gospel, hear about the love of God, to hear about his desire to, to save us and, and, and the means by which he accomplished that through Jesus. Now, uh, you know that we're, we're in our 10 days of prayer, and uh, we're, we're talking about this, uh, the theme of the three angels called to prayer. In our first night, uh, uh, looking at this, we commented on the fact that every day, we fall behind from reaching the entire world population with the gospel by over 200,000 people. You know, we, we, when, we, when you take um, the, um, the number of people that are born each day and you compare them with the, uh, the number of people that die each day, we fall behind by over 200,000 people in reaching the world with the gospel. So how, are, how, how is the gospel going to go around the world? We know that's going to happen because Jesus said it was. Well, of course, we, we, we talked about the fact that we need power, the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to us and that we obviously need to ask for that power daily. God equips us to do it. But the point is we need to be willing participants. We need to be willing to help God in this endeavor the gospel to the hungry multitudes. God needs us. He wants to use us. And, and sure, uh, uh, you know, it's been said that he could have used the angels of heaven to accomplish this, and, and the work would have been accomplished already. But he uses us because he wants to bless us, because he, we are benefited by, by taking part of this work, evangelizing the world. And it's for our spiritual growth. Witnessing is part of what, we, what needs to happen. So, so let's take these three steps together. Let's put them together. Uh, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to pray, you need to study God's word, and you need to witness. Now, from the story, we, we know that the disciples had baskets, right? They had baskets where Jesus would put the bread and, and the fish, and they, in turn, take it to uh, the hungry multitude. You know, we don't know where they got the baskets, but clearly they, they had enough baskets to accomplish this task. And so Jesus puts the bread and the fish in the baskets, and now the disciples go and give it to the multitudes. Now, let me ask you a question. What did the disciples have to do when they ran out of bread and fish? 
let's just say, uh, put yourself in, 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 in the shoes of one of the disciples. Let's just say you were one of the disciples. And there you go with your basket. Uh, it's full of bread and full of fish. Jesus had multiplied it and he filled your baskets. Now you're out there. Give the bread and the fish to the multitude. And everybody's grabbing their fish and grabbing their bread. And before you know it, now your basket is empty. If you want to continue helping Jesus and and feeding the multitude, what did you have to do when your basket was empty? Well, obviously, you needed to come back to Jesus to get more bread and more fish because he's the one supplying bread and the fish. So as soon as you're empty, you go back, you get some more, and then you can continue giving bread and, and fish. But now, let's say, for example, that you, as one of the disciples, once your, your basket uh, was empty, you had no more bread and no more fish, you decided, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to feed any more people. Well, then if that was your decision. Then obviously you didn't need to go back to Jesus for more bread and fish because you, you, you had no intentions of giving any more bread and fish. You may have put your basket to the side and that's it. You would have stood there and maybe watch everybody else work. Since you are not going to feed anybody else, you're not, you don't need to go back to Jesus, get more bread and, and, and fish. And, and, and this tells us how important all three of these steps are. You see, you cannot say, well, I am going to study God's word and I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to witness. Because if you say that, that's like the disciple that said, well, you know, I gave, I gave all the bread and fish. Now my basket is empty. I don't need to return back to Jesus to get more bread and fish because I'm not going to give anymore. See, if you don't witness Eventually, what's going to happen is that you're going to stop going back to Jesus for more bread and fish. You know, bread and, and, and fish in this case would be equated to the, the prayer and, and the study of God's word. But if you decide, you know, I'm not going to witness, I'm going to leave witnessing to somebody else. I'll do the, the prayer and I'll do the study of God's word, but I'm not going to witness. What's going to happen is that eventually you're going to stop praying and you're going to stop studying the word of God. By the same token, if, if you decide, well, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to study God's word, I'll do what I can with witnessing. Well, you can't give what you don't have. If you're not studying God's word, if you are not praying, then you're not going to have anything to witness about. You see how important then all these three steps are? Prayer, Bible study, and witnessing. Of course, you've heard me say also, that part of our spiritual growth is to be actively involved in, in church, but I'm going to leave that to the side right now. Prayer, Bible study, witnessing. All three are important. You, you have to do all three. It's an all or nothing. When I say witnessing, I'm not saying that, um, that everybody has to be giving a Bible study or that, or that you have to be preaching a sermon because uh, um, teaching and preaching, well, these are spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the church to help expand the agenda of God. Witnessing, if you if we were to notice um, the First uh, Corinthians twelve, Romans twelve, Ephesians four, where we uh, find the spiritual gifts listed, you you will notice that witnessing is not listed there because witnessing is not a spiritual gift. Witnessing is a spiritual necessity. We understand that. Prayer is a spiritual necessity, that studying God's word is a spiritual necessity. Well, if we're going to grow spiritually and going to be mature, healthy Christians, 
we ought to be witnessing too. And, and witnessing is really just telling somebody else what God has done in your life. And everybody, every one of us has a story to share about, about what God has done in your life. In fact, I'm willing to bet, if I was a betting guy, that every one of you knows or has at least one name, the name of one person you know that uh, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus but that you would like to see in the kingdom of God. And many of you probably have two or three or perhaps even more people, you know, co-workers or, or neighbors or friends, family members, people that right now don't have a relationship with Jesus. You would like to see in the kingdom of God. Maybe you need to be praying for them. Praying for an opportunity to witness to them. And, you know, you pray for them by name. And as you pray uh, um, for them, you don't need to tell them that you're praying for them. You just pray for them. And after maybe after some time you've been praying for them, maybe you can approach them and say, you know, so-and-so, I've been praying for you. You know, you've been on my mind and I've been praying for you every day. And, and, and then you can ask, well, maybe is there something that I can pray for you, a specific? And that can open the door to a spiritual conversation. And maybe an, a door, uh, opportunity to invite them to church where they hear more of the word of God, where they meet other Christians. Pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to witness and be opening to the leading of the Holy Spirit because witnessing is a spiritual necessity. And we need it in order to grow spiritually. And as you do this, we're led to pray more. You are, are led to study more. And of course, you're led to witness more. So maybe, maybe you've been struggling um, with your walk with Jesus. Maybe you have you had received Jesus some time ago, some years ago. Uh, you were baptized and things were good initially. You've noticed that maybe now you don't get excited that much about the Bible or, or you don't get excited or motivated that much about going to church. Maybe you've noticed that Satan is having uh, more success and tempting you in the battle and the great controversy with you, and, and, and you feel weak, and at times you feel like you're, you're going to throw the towel. You're going to give up. Well, you know, we, we are in that boat. We've all had those struggles. Jesus has provided us with the tools to help us grow spiritually, to be healthy Christians. Pray, study God's word, and witness. And you will be a stronger Christian as a result. I want to challenge you today. Again, we're only in the second week of this new year. That, that you make that resolution. That you make that goal by God's grace. And that you ask God to help you keep it. Help you remember it. And then you take the steps. Put it in your, in your calendar, uh, uh, planner, your calendar, your phone. Uh, uh, the time that you want to do it. Maybe from 6 to 6.30 or 6.30 to 7.00. You're going to spend some time with God in prayer and the study of his word, and then ask and pray for opportunities to witness, to be of service to somebody else, and God will grant you those opportunities, and you will grow spiritually. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.com dot org.